Hi there, my name is Deacon Brian, and I am the producer of the Whistling Jesus podcast. In this conversation, we talk about the very real issues of the COVID-19 pandemic and racism in the Twin Cities and beyond. We recognize that not all of our listeners are in a place to hear this conversation. While we hope you take the time to listen with open ears and an open heart, we also encourage you to do what is best for you at this time. All of us at Shepherd of the Hills are here for you and are praying for you. If you need spiritual care during this time, please feel free to reach out to our pastoral staff by going to our website, soth, S-O-T-H, church.com. Thank you and enjoy the show. Hi, my name is John Schultz. I'm the superintendent of Edina Public Schools, and you're listening to the Whistling Jesus podcast. Hi, my name is Pastor Scott Searle. I'm the senior pastor at Shepherd of the Hills Lutheran Church in Edina, Minnesota, and you're listening to the Whistling Jesus podcast. Today, we are glad to be in conversation with John Schultz, the superintendent of Edina Public Schools in Edina, Minnesota. Welcome to the show. All right, so we'll just get started. Hi, John. Nice to have you with us today. Glad that you're here. Thanks for having me. I wonder if we could just start. Tell us a little bit about your background, where you're originally from, and a little bit about your family and who you are. So I grew up in uh, North Minneapolis and a product of Patrick Henry High School. Um, I am a first-generation college student. My mom really made sure that I went to college. I attended Augsburg College, a great place to to learn. I actually majored in religion and biology and um, Went to the seminary for a year, thought that was the path that I was going to go into ministry and began working with children and young adults. And I said, well, I really like this. So I shifted back to my other major and became a science teacher, Um, went to the University of Minnesota to get my credentials for that and became a science teacher taught in um, Hopkins School District. Um, I also taught at the Hennepin County Homeschool, which is which was an adjudicated facility. Um, learned an awful lot about um, our community as a result of that experience. Um, I I'm married to uh, my wife Jane. We have two uh, wonderful daughters, um, Ellie and Anna May. Um, both were adopted from China and um, they basically run my life. I, um, I, live in, I live in Plymouth, Minnesota, and um, uh, I stayed in, I've been an educator for the last uh, 34 years. I, um, I have been, as I said, a science teacher. I've been a curriculum leader. Uh, I also have been assistant superintendent. I've been an associate principal at Eden Prairie. Um, and then I was superintendent in Hopkins for um, 12 years, and then um, have the last three years have been with Edina Public Schools as their superintendent. So um, I've had the opportunity of being in different communities. So what maybe over that you know more than 30 year career in education, what are some of the things that you've seen have changed? What are some of the things that you've seen that have stayed the same? Mm-hmm. Um, so 
I think the one thing that has stayed the same and we're really, uh, it, it's, it's really something that we're watching now or what, that we're thinking about um, is the one thing that stays the same is how do you maintain uh, an engaging relationship with an adult? An engaging relationship in this in my in my career as a teacher that that is something that has stayed um, the course in all the thirty four years I've been an educationist. How do we ensure a student has uh, engagement around content, around process, around reading, writing, arithmetic, all the courses? There's an adult there engaging them in that content. I think that's the one thing that has remained constant in 34 years. I think the I think the biggest change that education is struggling with, and it is a struggle, is are we reaching all children? And um, and the answer to that question is no. We are when you look at our data, and when you talk to our communities, um, we there are. Um, members of our kids in our community that are not engaged in our schools. And um, sometimes schools think that it should be the parent or another community member that gets that student engaged. But uh, I really believe the schools um, are responsible for engaging students. And that's, that's the work, the hard work that's in front of us. On March 12th, the state asked its schools and its school leaders to shift its face-to-face -face teaching to um, online learning, to distance learning, to learning on the computer? How do we use the technology to teach kids so that we're not putting them in danger of, of the COVID virus? And um, one of the things we became most concerned about, and I was most happy that we were concerned about it, was when we shift kids to that environment, do they have the technology? Do they have the resource? Do they have the support in order to um, be successful in what we call school in, in our COVID time? Yeah, we're all very aware, right, of all of the cultural issues related to first COVID-19 and the racial disparities that that uh, kind of brought to light. Right. And then on top of it, the death of George Floyd. I'm sort of wondering too, you know, one of the interesting positions that you have is you have not only a community of teachers, you have a community of students, and then you have the larger community that you serve as well. And I'm wondering sort of, uh, and it might be too short of a window, but I'm sort of wondering like in the last three months, what are the conversations that you've heard taking place related to COVID-19 and George Floyd's death? When, when you're a superintendent or educational leader, no one day looks the same. and to this day, since March 12th, when we had COVID, um, my day has not, every day has not looked the same. Um, so I, with COVID, we shifted to um, ensuring that um, our tier one and tier two students had childcare. So schools are central for childcare. So we put personnel to ensure that about 100 students between two schools, um, um, young kids that they're, so they're, they're, um, the essential workers could go to work um, and, and take care of the needs of the community. Um, so we made sure those kids were taken care of. The second thing that we had to do, which is our primary purpose, is to deliver instruction um, on, through technology. So 
um, things like Schoology, Seesaw, um, engaging parents and kids in what we call um, distance learning and teaching the parent their role in distance learning. Um, and the third thing was ensuring that children and families had food. And that was the one that surprised me the most. Um, in schools, we have a free and reduced lunch program, which dollars for that are provided by the federal government. And any Dyna, I believe to date, um, we might, I mean, we may have served around over 40,000 meals uh, since March. And, um, and it, it, the, the, the protocol we set up is that we, we will provide a, uh, the, the federal government says you are to provide breakfast and lunch to those who need it. Um, and then we had a community group come forward, um, which is called the uh, Edina Meal Fund and the Edina Educational Fund came forward. And there's another organization called Give and Go that worked together to provide the dinners. So, the, um, so when a parent or a family came for food, they would get a week's worth of food for uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner for their family. And, um, and, and one of the things that um, the conversations that came up is that when we, were, we had kids in the buildings, we were doing that and it really was not that visible because the student would go through the lunch line, they would pick up their lunch and it would all be taken care of within the transaction that happened uh, when the student picked up their food. Now that transaction became a lot more visible during COVID. And um, I, I, I was surprised by the amount of food that we actually support in our community. And it's wonderful how generous um, the Edina community has been in providing another meal for families who need it. Um, so the COVID, the COVID event, the crisis, really showed the role schools have in a community. Um, schools are the first place where a human, an American, if you will, meets the government. Schools are, a, um, are an arm of the state government and the federal government for that matter. So it's the first place where a student learns to be um, a citizen, learns, to be, learns about our democracy, learns about our constitution and their rights. And, um, and but, it's a lot more than that. We're also educating in content. We're teaching them to read. Um, and so, so the COVID really showed the role education plays in the community. With the, George, with, with the death and murder of George Floyd, the, um, that took on a, it, it heightened the, the um, it heightened and it magnified the three things I just talked about, the care that we provide, um, but it, it um, magnified um, that, that um, our community goes beyond what's just uh, in front of us. Um, so we have now begun discussions in schools, I would say in the last three weeks about what are we going to do and begin to um, use George Floyd's death as a way to motivate our thinking and our reflection, our thoughts and our service that we provide to families, ensuring that we 
are serving all families. The public school system isn't, is made for every citizen um, that it serves. It's not just for some of the kids, it's for all kids. And we are now starting conversations about how do we begin to um, change how we deliver our instruction, how we engage our families, how do we um, uh, provide direction to parents um, using more of a cultural lens as opposed to our own lens, which may be um, driven by um, predominantly a white culture. So we are starting to ask ourselves the questions about culture. Our teachers, we've had conversations, in fact, I had a meeting yesterday with our teachers group that wants to have, they, they're asking for more professional development on how to ask that question about what are, what are we doing for all our kids in our classrooms? It's especially kids of color who we know whose test scores um, are, are lower than their, their white peers. So we need to figure out what are we doing in our instruction? What are we doing in our curriculum? From a community perspective, how are we inviting people into our space? How are we inviting people to, uh, into the conversation of education? I had a, um, a, a conversation a couple of years ago where we invited community members as part of something called Reimagine Minnesota. And um, I sat with um, a Somali family and um, in the Minnetonka High School cafeteria. And the mom, uh, the question was, what can we do to um, ensure that you're comfortable with public education? And the mom asked me a question that still haunts me today um, and makes me think and really remain open to everyone I serve. She said, You've, have you ever asked me how I educate my child at home? And I said, no, I have not asked that. And she went through what she does for her children at home. And I was really amazed by, um, by that, by the answer and how she provides the resource and what help she needs in providing that resource. And we always ask them to come into our space. I think we need to figure out how do we come into their culture and um, be part of that and really begin a conversation about that's centered around their child. I think that's the, I think that's what's in front of us. How we do that, how do we get the resource to do that? How do we get the, um, the engagement? How do we teach ourselves as well as teach um, the community to begin that discussion so that we can ensure that their child is engaged in learning? So uh, I've learned over the last, I've always known this, but it's been magnified. Um, and that's probably the one thing I've learned since I've been a teacher. It's, it is amazing the wide diversity of people we serve um, every day. And, um, and that rich diversity is very rewarding to learn about. And I'm hoping that the, the rewards I have felt in serving such a wide diversity over my career, I can translate and use that to motivate the school system to encounter and uh, really embrace all the people that we serve in a school. 
how has that impacted you personally as well, sort of uh, in terms of not only how you lead, but how your how that's how that's affected you personally? So uh, personally, it's impacted me when um, when you hear that uh, African-Americans, people of color have great fear when they um, encounter the police or encounter public institutions. I think there's fear of people of color when they encounter teachers in schools. Just, um, and I think that's something we have to work on. Um, I have two kids of color and I first, one of the things in listening to that, I wonder how does the community respond to my two daughters? And um, do I, and I, I thought about I thought about and felt that fear that um, African Americans um, have shared throughout this narrative. Um, that has caused me to pause and and, and I and, and try not to get wrapped up in the fear of it. But I think what we have to do, and um, I think uh, in this podcast, uh, you stress conversation. Um, I have always, I, when I've thought about that fear and I thought about those challenges that came as a result of, of George Floyd's death, um, I think about the, the friends of color that I have. And, um, and, and I've always asked them what it means to be a person of color. And, um, and I've learned by listening to them. I will, I will never know what it means to live as a person of color in America because I am white. I don't, I don't have that opportunity. But the only way I know how to respond to um, all the fear and what George Floyd represents is to ask questions and start a conversation and um, begin to ask the the people in our community, people of color in our community, um, to begin to understand uh, um, what understand what their experience is. How are they living through our culture? How are they living through our schools? We have staff of color in Edina. Um, I have setting up a meeting to sit down with them to again ask them primarily ask them how they're doing, and then. Um, and then have them challenge me to make change in the environment. Um, I think more importantly, we're gonna be thinking about how do we bring voice into our work and into our space? How do I look at it personally? I know I have to step into these challenges, um, whether it's based on race, whether it's based on economics, class, I need to step into these spaces that are in conflict with the service that I provide and resolve that conflict. Um, it would be a great legacy for me to say that um, Edina and Hopkins schools are welcoming to everybody um, who is seeking the service of the public schools. That would be a great goal. I don't know that I will achieve that um, because I think it's gonna take time because I think this conversation, as you indicated, it's going to have to be done individually and getting people to 
challenge their own conceptions of, of other people. And um, how do we challenge those conceptions or the misconceptions and change that viewpoint? Thinking about sort of re-envisioning what community would look like, what makes for community for you? And where have you experienced that? And then what are some of the things that, you know, have provided that sense of good community and connection for you? And, and how might that impact what we think about kind of moving ahead? That's a really interesting question. One thing that's happened with COVID and George Floyd um, is that I now see the community that I live in as being extremely large. You always hear about, oh, you're in the global community. Um, but I have, I, have, I have seen now that this, the community that I serve and the community in which I live uh, is very large. And, there's, and it's diverse and it's complex. And um, it gets overwhelming thinking about it. And it gets even more overwhelming when you have to serve within it. Because we do need to meet the needs of the individuals in that community. But I think what I see um, is a is a kind of a community ideal in the future would be that I think institutions like you just listed, churches, schools, police, um, when they, um, I, I, I think they, um, they become too limiting and I don't think they can do everything they're asked to do. So I think we have to turn to the community and find that interdependence between um, all our communities and all our individuals so that the whole community is successful. So I see ourselves, um, I, I, and it's not just, you know, you can use words like networking, you can use words making connections and having all this web of connections within a community, but it's, 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 it's really getting the members of the community to start interacting with, with one another to know who's there and who can help in our community to serve everyone. So the communities serve communities. Um, the individuals in the community serve community. You know, I, you know the, the police, the police um, are the community. Uh, in America, it, we have a democracy, it's we the people. And it, the, those, the police are members of our community that serve and protect, protect the community. Um, so it's the community that does that. It's the community that pays for it. Um, same with um, emergency medical care and, um, and schools. Um, the community is educating the community. And I think we have to get back to that idea. And, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about commonwealth. How do we take the, what is uh, the resources and the riches within the community and make it common to everyone so we can share? Um, Individualism only works. I think individualism should work so that it serves the community and that it doesn't get turned in on the individual. Um, so that's how I, I see an ide ideal community. If you could do anything for either your community, uh, either as a person in Plymouth or as in your role as the superintendent, if you could do anything for your community and you knew you wouldn't fail, uh, what would you do? I, I think what I, I would really like to do is I would I would love to bring all the members of the community with all the very diverse perspectives 
and even perspectives that are polar opposites of one another. Um, bring them all together and ask them, you know, and, and come up with one or two common goals that we can pursue together and ask that community to slow the rest of their lives down so they can add to the community to really better themselves as well as better the people around them. And what, what might be some of the things that prevent you from doing that? I think individuals coming into that space, I think there's a lot of distraction to do that. Um, whether those distractions are from other voices, other forces within our culture. Um, I think it's also economic. Um, a challenge we have in schools is uh, bringing individuals that are in low socioeconomic status because they have two, maybe three jobs to um, support their family. Um, that, that economic distraction is there. I think we need to develop the will to do something like that, the will to um, embrace our community, embrace community. And um, I think we as leaders have um, a lot of work in front of us to show that uh, the power of bringing people together is, um, is something that is great, greatly beneficial to everyone. One of the things you mentioned just sort of a little bit earlier was um, you said you were taking a little time. The situation has caused you to pause a little bit. Um, and that's one of the things that I'm sort of interested in. I, I think the superintendent job, we've talked about this in other venues, the superintendent job is not dissimilar from being a pastor in that you just never know what's going to walk in your door on any particular given day. Um, and whether it's a student issue or a teacher issue or a building issue or uh, an issue in the community that now you have to deal with uh, because of something else that happened. How do you take time to pause and how, what does that time to pause look like for you? You know, it's, it's, it, it's an interesting question because I have not paused since March 12th because there was so much planning and so many decisions we have to make. So it's a great question. And when you think about the word pause, that's the that's really the verb in that in that question. And verbs are supposed to be action words, you know. And sometimes pausing um, is is can be active. Um, you know, I find I find being outdoors um, and being in nature um, and and listening to the quiet sounds of nature. Um, gets me uh, gets gets me to slow down enough to begin thinking again instead of just reacting. I, I, this is going to sound really really funny, but my daughter rides horses, and um, going out to the barn and hanging out with a organism like a horse that's you know eighteen hundred pounds, and you look at that horse, and then my my youngest daughter rides these things and jumps them four feet in the air <laughs> and you see their gentle nature it, you just kind of, it melts all the all the questions and the challenges you have when you look at that that creature so it's it's always looking at something that's bigger than you that helps me you know helps you like a forest a tree um a lake they're all bigger than you and you just look at it and just you just ponder um, and, um, and 
And so it gives me enough time to think about, but um, when I match that pausing with what I think is happening, one thing that comes back to me all the time when I'm pausing and reflecting is we really need to improve the relationships within our community. And, and how do we do that is the question. And I think that's what's in front of every leader uh, right now as we enter into the next school year, for example. We are so grateful for our conversation with John Schultz. Join us next time as we continue our conversation about people, vocation, and community with our next community member to be announced soon. Please subscribe and share our podcast and feel free to reach out to our Shepherd staff with any comments and questions you have. See you next time.